The latest news, history, and analysis from the perspective of the first Christians. Tune into the FBN, worldwide, 24-7 radio stream. As we watch the predictable results of a worldwide Bolshevik coup play out, hearing news of Catholic churches being raided and altars defiled by jackbooted chekas on Good Friday shouldn't come as a surprise. But there is one surprise. There's a big difference between today and back in 1917 when these same Jesus killers went on to murder 50 million Christian Russians. Back then, the average parishioner, your basic Christian, could count on the church helping and protecting him. And he would protect the church and its priests as much as he could. It was a symbiotic relationship, and the church and its people sought protection and solace from each other. Not today. Today we have a whole different ballgame. Today these church leaders are selling out their own people, complying with lockdowns and restrictions on the churches, even encouraging parishioners to commit mortal sin and be injected with RNA bioweapons that, at minimum, used aborted baby cell lines in testing and development. At minimum. All of them. Every brand. In some countries, churches have even been ordered to maintain and submit lists of everyone who attends services. And they're complying. They're handing in those lists. The Jesus killers and their Judaizer apparatchiks are all working together in lockstep. What's happening is a top-down satanic coup, and you are on the menu. The situation doesn't leave Christians with a whole lot of options. When the government and the church become your enemy, you better wake up from stimmy-check dream world and start looking at things with a renewed sense of clarity and urgency. And for millions of the first Christians, part of that clarity involved knowing that Jesus came for the salvation of all of us. Jesus transcended race. He wasn't a Roman. He wasn't a Greek. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't somebody's exclusive real estate agent, and he didn't play favorites. Remember, there's a big difference between being chosen and being self-chosen. And you'll find that definition next to the word self-worshipping and chutzpah. Now, for the first Christians, this was easy to understand because it was laid out for them in the very first sentence of the very first Bible of 144 AD. And if you'd like to follow along, you can pick up a free copy at theveryfirstbible.org.org. And it begins, In the fifteenth year of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Jesus descended into Capernaum, a city in Galilee. Now, think about that carefully. He didn't walk, he didn't run, he didn't drive, he didn't ride or crawl, or even travel to. He descended into, as in from above. Did he rappel down into Capernaum? No. He descended into Capernaum, from above. And that above is heaven. In other words, he entered earth the same way that he left it. Now, even in the modern Bible, they say he ascended into heaven, the resurrection. All Bibles describe the ascension and resurrection. That's how he left, and how he entered was by descending. Now, the Apostle Paul helps us better understand ascending and descending, and he takes care in explaining it to the first Christians. For us, it's in Laodiceans, chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. 
The modern Bible, though, renamed it Ephesians, but it doesn't matter. It's the same chapter number and verses, and interestingly enough, they didn't edit any of it, which makes our job here today a little bit easier. Now, let's see what Paul says about Jesus ascending, and just importantly, descending. Quote-unquote, Wherefore the saying, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now this, he ascended. What is it but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers." Unquote. Now, not to put too fine a point on things, but this negates the birth narrative and miraculous conception story written by someone we think was called Luke. Luke wrote this story as part of a larger letter, now referred to as a gospel, to someone named Theophilus. Luke said he was writing this story after reading other Gospels and wanted to make sure that this Theophilus person, the recipient of this letter, probably a Roman official, received his account of things. Luke uses the title of Most Excellent Theophilus. So again, probably some kind of Roman official. Now, it's all in the first chapter of Luke in the modern Bible, so you don't have to take my word for any of this. He wrote his letter or Gospel after many others had already been written. But his is the only one that came up with this entertaining birth narrative. We really don't know much about Luke, except that he may have been a physician and a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. As for Theophilus, again, nobody knows. We only go this far into it because Paul mentions a person named Luke twice in his epistles as having that name and role. Now, was it the same Luke? Was it someone writing from the perspective of Luke? We don't know. Nor does any church official or theologian that you'd care to ask. Go ahead and ask them, we'll wait. Now, what we do know is that Luke never met Jesus. Did you know that? The author of both Luke and Acts never met Jesus. Luke didn't even claim to have gotten a revelation or had some kind of divinely inspired vision. No, he came up with Luke and Acts through at most second and third hand stories. How do we know? He tells us exactly that. Quote unquote, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Unquote. Again, don't take my word for it, it's all in black and white in the modern Bible. But somehow this Luke person knew the intimate details not only of Jesus' birth, including his circumcision, but also the secret details of Mary's life years before Jesus was born. Now, we've already gotten pretty far off the beaten track, and believe me, it only gets worse from here. Just suffice it to say that Luke is just a Judaized version of the real gospel, the gospel preached by Paul that we know is the gospel of the Lord. And not a word, not a jot or tittle of this Judaized nonsense from somebody named Luke is in it. This is a fictionalized story designed to weave mosaic laws into the Jesus backstory. Look how they hammer home the laws again and again. The same laws that Jesus freed us from. The same laws that Paul fought tooth and nail against. As he says in Galatians 2.16, For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ died for nothing. That seems pretty clear. And by the way, every single law that uh, Luke is raving about here, 
was thrown out at the Council of Jerusalem in 48 AD. That's right, every jot and tittle of it. All 613 of these Hebrew laws were tossed in the trash can by the very apostles who actually met Jesus. People unlike this mysterious Luke person. And if you're interested in any of these 613 Hebrew laws and how they were thrown into a theological dumpster, I'll add a link in the show notes for that episode. Now, you're probably thinking, gee, Darren, I thought this was about Galatians 4.4. Why are we in this rabbit hole? Well, bear with me here a little bit because there's just a couple more missing pieces that I want to mention before we finish. And I use the word missing for a specific reason. The two Judaized characters dreamed up by this Luke person are nowhere to be found in the Gospel of the Lord or in any of the epistles of Paul. The only mention of Mary's are Mary of Magdalene and Mary the mother of the Apostle James. And the only Joseph is Joseph of Arimathea mentioned once after Christ's crucifixion. So, to sum up, millions of the first Christians were completely unaware of this Hebrew virgin birth story because it wasn't dreamed up and written down until much later. They only knew then, as we know now, that Jesus arrived on earth when he descended into Capernaum. You have no right not to be vaccinated. You have no right not to wear a mask. You have no right to open up your business. If they decide you have to be vaccinated, we have to be vaccinated? Absolutely. And if you refuse to be vaccinated, the state has the power to literally take you to a doctor's office and plunge a needle into your arm. Darren Kalama here with the Right Bible Podcast, reminding you that the cross can also be your shield. Protect yourself with religious exemption affidavits for COVID testing, masks, and dangerous vaccinations. Church approved and sanctioned by scripture. Download yours instantly at marcionitechurch.org.